0: And welcome to a podcast about murder. I'm Jem and I'm here with Freya to talk about, you guessed it, murder.
1: <laughs> Are you ready? <laughs> that was natural. You were like a game show host now.
0: <laughs> Today we'll be looking at a case from Italy, a female serial killer, Leonardo Cianciulli, better known as the Soapmaker of Correggio. She actually only barely qualifies as a serial killer because she only killed three people, but I think her motives and actions are going to be quite interesting to discuss.
1: Also, it's always crazy when we say, only killed three people. It's like, it's insane to (laughs) kill one person. Yeah, I mean, you know, just a small serial killer. (laughs) Just a minor. (laughs) Nothing too fancy. Yeah, not worth writing home about.
0: (laughs) A warning to our listeners, we'll be discussing the desecration of human bodies as well as cannibalism. So that being said, let's get into it. Leonardo Cianciulli was born on the 18th of April, 1893, in Montella, a small town in the south of Italy. There isn't much information on Cianciulli's early life, and a lot of it is sort of conflicting. The information we do have, however, doesn't depict a very happy childhood. Many sources claim that Leonardo was the result of a rape, and that because of her pregnancy, her mother was then forced to marry her rapist. Ugh. So, right off the bat, that's a pretty rough start in life.
1: That's the worst.
0: Um, And I can imagine it was quite an unpleasant home life. Yeah, sure, you'd have all that,
1: like, you'd have resentment, I'm sure. And Mm. that wouldn't be a nice, uh, like, vibe to grow up in.
0: Leonardo's father then died when she was a toddler. And though her mother remarried, the family lived in constant poverty Leonardo's mother was also said to have openly despised her daughter and emotionally abused her. Mm. So, you know, classic unhappy childhood. I was going to say it's like,
1: um, you know, that the dad dying isn't exactly, like, probably for the best that he died, but then at the same time, because of the time, it's kind of like out of a yeah. frying pan into the fire kind of thing because they have to find someone yeah. to look after them.
0: Well, and also, it was really hard to figure out when exactly... Be- I don't know, because basically Leonardo has five siblings. Yeah. And apparently she was the youngest, but then that doesn't match up with the fact of her dad having raped her mom and then the two having been forced to marry, if they only right. had children prior to that. So I'm not sure if these were actually older than her, if they were children that they had from other marriages prior to this. I'm not entirely sure. Okay, But she's now... So her mom is now... Alone with these six children. And even though she remarries, it's hard to sort of get out of the poverty that they live in. Yeah. Leonardo was said to have suffered from epilepsy and tried to commit suicide on several occasions at a young age. Mm. In her memoir, Leonardo writes, I tried to hang myself twice. One time they came to save me and the other time the rope broke. Mom let me know she was sorry to see me alive again. My God. So that's just pretty fucking intense.
1: Obviously I feel... I really feel for this woman, even though, but like, there's no, you know, there's no, you can't, sh- the child didn't do any thin to be alive kind of thing. So you can, you can't take out on the child. That's really horrible.
0: Leonardo also tried to kill herself by eating glass, apparently. Oh my god. Which sounds like one of the absolute worst ways to die. It's I sad though, because it imagine. shows the
1: desperation. It shows like mm. the pure, like, Yeah, the desperation in her that you would do something so, like, difficult to do.
0: Mm. So, from quite a young age, you can already see that Leonardo has had a pretty rough life and is quite a vulnerable person, and this doesn't really get better over time. Great. In 1917, at age 23, Leonardo married Raffaele Pensardi, a much older registry office clerk from Lauria. This marriage went against her parents' wishes, who had arranged a marriage with a wealthy man. This apparently caused her mother to curse their union and wish her a life full of suffering, which, you know, is a horrible thing to hear from your mother in any situation, but as Leonardo was also extremely superstitious, she really took her mother's curse to heart. Right. To add to this, Leonardo had apparently met a fortune teller who had delivered a terrible prophecy. You will marry, you will have children, but all your children will die.
1: Oh. That's... (laughs) That's... <laughs> yes, I mean... You'd prefer not to hear that. The <laughs> wife she's
0: already had. You don't need to be hearing that on top of it. Yeah. Unfortunately, this prophecy would come true. Over the course of her life, Leonardo was pregnant 17 times. Oh Yet only God. four of her children would survive to adulthood. Jesus Christ. She had three miscarriages and ten of her children died at a young age.
1: No, that's horrible.
0: It's horrific. I can't imagine going through that.
1: I can't imagine losing one child to any to anything yeah. it's just like 10 and then to have the miscarriages as well mm. like someone pointed out
0: there's like some sort of psychological analysis of her and they were just like what we know now about postnatal depression alone would be like one time going through that would be enough to sort of explain yeah. her actions Sure, going through it 13 times oh my god
1: it's actually also really rare To have, like, I'm sure it's not the rarest to have um, children dying early at the time, but to have multiple miscarriages is also quite a rare thing.
0: Yeah, but I also wonder, like, to what extent it's sort of a self-fulfilling thing, Mm. because she believes that she's cursed and that all her children are going to die. I have no idea what kind of impact that has on you in a psychosomatic kind of way.
1: Yeah, especially if you are a very superstitious person. And so you would really take those things to heart. Mm.
0: In her memoir, Leonardo writes, quote, I could not bear the loss of another child. Almost every night I dreamed of small white coffins, swallowed one after the other by the black earth. My God. For this reason, I studied magic. I read books that talk about palmistry, astronomy, spells, hexes, spiritism. I wanted to learn everything about spells in order to be able to neutralize them. So once again, we can just see these traumas sort of piling up and Leonardo's strong belief in these kind of spiritual practices mm. that obviously has like a strong impact on her for her whole life. Yeah. Following her marriage to Raffaele, the couple lived in Lauria until 1927 before moving to La Cedonia. During this time, Leonardo wasn't particularly well liked by the other villagers. They considered her dishonorable and boastful and not as subservient as she should have been to her husband. Right. So not only is Leonardo now completely hated and shunned by her own family, but most of the townspeople look down on her. So I can imagine that's not a great atmosphere to sort of have to live with every day. No. As the couple struggled financially, Leonardo committed fraud for which she was imprisoned for ten months in nineteen twenty-seven. Leonardo was, had a turbulent past. For what
1: was the fraud like?
0: I have no like I couldn't actually find any more details on this. I think she was basically like conning people into giving her money somehow. Right. By promising something in exchange that she...
1: Then didn't follow
0: up on. Yeah. Okay. But I'm not sure. Leonardo had a turbulent past with the law. In 1912, at the age of 18, she had been convicted of theft. And in 1919, she had reportedly been arrested for threatening someone with a dagger. So I wasn't able to find more information on these crimes and arrests, but regardless, it adds to the portrait of this unlucky and troubled individual.
1: Yeah, and also, like, I, I would assume that most of those crimes, like the fraud and the theft, are to do with the situation that she's in. with Yeah, not definitely. Having... Yeah.
0: I assume it's because she's just in this extreme poverty. Yeah, yeah. And will do anything to get out of it. Leonardo and her husband were forced to leave Lacedonia after an earthquake destroyed their house and their possessions, leaving them practically destitute. So again, another great event to add to this woman's life. It was following this event that the family relocated to Correggio in the northern part of Italy in nineteen thirty. Using the small compensation the state had given victims of the earthquake, Leonardo started a small business. Again, the sources seem to vary on what she did exactly. Some say she sold clothes and furniture, and others say that it was a sort of tea room. Okay. However, the sources always are quite different th-
1: things. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, But the sources all seem to agree that on top of this, she also unofficially offered services such as palmistry and astrology readings. In Correggio, it seems that Leonardo was able to sort of reinvent herself. Although she was seen as somewhat eccentric, the townspeople here all seemed to like her. She was considered a reliable person, a doting mother. And (laughs) I like this because it's a direct quote, an exemplary fascist. (laughs) (laughs)
1: just to remind you of the political context of italy in the 1930s (laughs) i love that there was a time um like because nowadays there's a lot of you know you call someone a a fascist and they might well be one but they would never say But it's not a positive yeah they would never say like yeah i'm a fascist and i'm even if they might be one right and yeah you would be like i'm a fascist and i'm proud what of it the idea there was a time where it was like you're the best fascist <laughs> diner," and, and that was like thanks <laughs> i'm really trying you're hard to a do fascism fascist. at high level <laughs> oh my god top marks top marks for the fascism people would
0: often pop around to chat with her and she would always welcome them into her home offering them cakes and tea it seemed as though she had finally been able to turn the page and build a somewhat pleasant life for herself Despite this, the threatening prediction of yet another fortune teller loomed over her. This palm reader had told her, In your right hand, I see prison. In your left, a criminal asylum. Jesus. Yeah, I don't know who she's going to see, but these like fortune tellers are pretty hardcore.
1: I wonder if they're getting some inside info, though. Because, like, because that's not an out-of-the-way thing to say about her at this point. Like, it's not... That's no. not crazy. So, are they picking up rumours... From, like, the town. But I
0: don't know where she's... Because she's moved around a lot. So it's not just, right. like, some local person who okay. would know about her. But maybe she just has a vibe. Maybe she just <laughs> just seem a bit mad when you meet her. And
1: we also don't know what cues she's giving to no, the exactly. person.
0: Since Leonardo had lost so many of her children, she was obviously extremely protective of the four who had survived, particularly her eldest son, marked as her favourite, Giuseppe. So when Giuseppe announced in 1939 that he was going to join the Italian army and fight in the Second World War, Leonardo was naturally distraught at the idea of losing one of her children. It's unclear exactly how Leonardo came to the conclusion that in order to protect her son, she would have to commit a human sacrifice. <laughs> <I> um, <mean. laughs> but obviously she had an interest in, I guess what you'd call like the dark arts. <laughs> <or> <laughs> some kind of spiritual paganism. Yeah. And she may have just come to the conclusion that in order to save her son's life, she would have to give someone else's in exchange.
1: I mean, I can see I'm not I wouldn't I don't understand. I can see the logic though. Life for a life kind of thing. If yeah, exactly.
0: If you are, you know, interested in that kind of thing, that's typically how those kind of deals work. Yeah. Some sources state that she had been visited by her mother in a dream who had given her these instructions. Right. But in any case, Leonardo was desperate to protect her son and decided that the only way to do this was to kill someone. You know, perfectly normal conclusion to arrive at. Totally.
1: I mean, really, you're a bad mother if you don't consider. I mean, at this
0: point, yeah. (laughs) I think we can say exemplary fascist, great mother, (laughs) all all around,
1: wonderful human being.
0: (laughs) Leonardo's first victim was Ermelinda Faustina Setti. Seti was also the oldest of Leonardo's victims, as she was 70 at the time of her murder. She was a regular client of Leonardo's and also consulted her for fortune telling services. Faustina was a very romantic woman who longed for a husband. Leonardo claimed to have found her a husband in Pula, in Croatia. Leonardo was actually extremely smart and calculated in her actions. She convinced Faustina to keep this would be future husband a secret, saying that others would be jealous of her. Huh. She then instructed her to write letters to her friends explaining why she had left Correggio so that they wouldn't look into her disappearance.
1: Yeah, very clever.
0: Yeah, because then she was supposed to leave the letters with Leonardo, who would deliver them once she had safely reached Pula.
1: It's also the kind of time where you can do stuff like this, because people aren't really expecting, like people are expecting to just get maybe get letters and people would travel around and then you, you maybe not see them
0: again. Yeah. Exactly, and it's quite a long way to travel to Croatia, so yeah, you know, yeah. you'd kind of think, well, I guess she's gone forever now. Hmm. <laughs> Good luck to her. <laughs> and also, the war has just started, so that sort of helps cover up these people who just go missing because Italy's just got other things going on.
1: Right, yeah. It's really sad, though, that she was sort of... She preyed on this woman's... I feel so
0: bad for her because... Of all the victims, she's the most, like, all she wants in life is love. And she was promised that and she was taken advantage of because of that. Yeah. So Leonardo also advised Faustina to make Leonardo a proxy to manage her assets. And this detail in particular seems a bit off to me in the sense that the reason she's justified this murder to herself is that... to her it's the only thing that she can do to save her son Mm. but at the same time it's not irrational and it's not in the heat of the moment it's very planned and she's even trying to get money out of it which sort of seems to undercut the almost noble intentions she has however misguided they would be yeah Faustina obviously never left for Pula instead on the 17th of December 1939 Leonardo gave her drugged wine and killed her with an axe She then cut the body into smaller pieces, collecting the blood in a basin. She dissolved the body parts with caustic soda. She described her process in the following manner, I threw the pieces into a pot, added seven kilos of caustic soda, which I had brought to make soap, and stirred the mixture until the pieces dissolved in a thick, dark mush that I poured into several buckets and emptied into a nearby septic tank. As for the blood in the basin, I waited until it had coagulated, dried it in the oven, ground it, and mixed it with flour, sugar, chocolate, milk, and eggs, as well as a bit of margarine, oh my god! kneading all the ingredients together. I made lots of crunchy tea cakes and served them to the ladies who came to visit, though Giuseppe and I also ate them.
1: So, yeah. Gross. <laughs> like, it's so disgusting. So, what was that? Some kind of, is that cake or some kind of pancake? a tea cake is like um i think it's like no, part it's way like, between it, a cake and a biscuit it's like a kind bu- of oh i th- for me a tea cake is like a bun almost isn't it
0: i'm not sure I mean, let me look up a tea cake because they also crunchy. might be
1: different cuz in, e- in in england i think a tea cake is more like a bun but okay I could be wrong
0: in england they're like they seem to be showing pictures of like hot cross buns almost
1: right that's what i'm thinking of
0: but there's also pictures of like smaller, more biscuity looking cakes.
1: Right. And I think
0: in Italian baking, they do a lot of those like hard.
1: There's also that thing where it. there's a hard biscuit then marshmallow fluff, then covered in chocolate. And I think that's called yeah. a tea cake. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So maybe it's people zop- can't f- make up their mind. Basically, everything's no. called a tea cake. <laughs> maybe it's just any kind of cake that you have with tea, I guess. But, so basically you know, she made some kind of disgusting disgusting thing.
0: <laughs> crunchy cake. Uh crunchy. Is the fact of it being crunchy really like brings
1: it home? I don't want to hear yeah. that. <laughs> Great. But also
0: I don't know how long it takes for blood to coagulate. But how long did she have this like bucket of blood just lying around?
1: I think if you have it in enough volume, it won't coagulate. I think it's because it's in such volume. That it will stay a liquid for much longer, because then my question is like, how? Where did she keep this? I don't know. I guess you could say it was like animal blood, because like black, I guess black pudding it's is a just thing. Like, yeah.
0: So yeah, this is an incredibly involved and drawn out process, and she seems to actually get some pleasure out of secretly feeding this woman's remains to unknowing people. That is so. <laughs>
1: It's like the worst which like it
0: actually doesn't seem to have much to do with Giuseppe at all yeah at this point it's kind of just an excuse um other than the fact that he has to like ingest the sacrifice right but that seems to be an afterthought it's like <laughs> I just made these crunchy blood tea cakes and fed them to these women who came to have tea Giuseppe also ate some but you know that right <laughs> <laughs> she's I don't know Cianciulli's second victim was Francesca Clementina Soavi, whom she killed on the 5th of September 1940. She was a schoolteacher, and Leonardo had come up with a similar ploy as with Faustina. She told Francesca that she had foreseen a position for her at the Piacenza Girls Boarding School. Once again, she convinced Francesca to keep the potential job a secret from her family, and to write postcards in advance to let them know why she had left Correggio. She also managed to get her to pass on her possessions and money to Leonardo, Leonardo killed and disposed of Francesca in a similar way to Faustina. She sold all of her belongings and kept the money for herself. Apparently, Giuseppe then went to Piacenza and sent Francesca's family the postcards she had written before her death. So, at this point, it's hard to say to what extent Giuseppe is actually aware of or involved in the murders. Right. Because he's obviously... I mean, I don't know how old he is, but he's old enough to be... He's an adult. And he's just like... I don't think you would just do whatever your mum blindly told you without question.
1: Well, if your mum was, was an exemplary fascist, you might well Maybe do everything that she says exactly <laughs> when she asks you. for Mussolini. Yeah. That's the
0: right thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> and I also don't know why, like, I don't know why he's still around. <laughs> if she was so, not to be mean, but like, if she was so worried about him being shipped off to war... Right. Like, he's still just sort of hanging around, it seems. And I don't know if he's been to war and come
1: back. Maybe he had some kind of physical issue. Maybe.
0: Leonardo's last victim was Virginia Cacioppo. Virginia was something of a minor celebrity. She was a former soprano who had sung at La Scala, a famous opera house in Milan. Cianciulli told her that she had found a job for her, working as a secretary in Florence. Like the two other victims, Virginia was sworn to silence. Leonardo killed her on the 30th of September, 1940. Unlike the other two, Virginia's body was used to make soap as well as tea cakes. Chan Chuli writes, quote, She ended up in the cauldron like the other two. Her flesh was fat and white. Oh, God. When it had melted, I added a bottle of cologne, and after a long time on the boil, I was able to make some most acceptable creamy soap.
1: Oh, don't I- say creamy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It was, it was bad enough. It melted but
0: hang on it gets worse i would finish the quote <laughs> i gave bars to neighbors and acquaintances the cakes too were better that woman really was sweet
1: oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> oh that is bad
0: it's it's the fact of it being turned into these everyday items that she's yeah. like sneakily giving to people it's and kind just being of like, like mm, yeah it's, it's really... creamy it's crunchy it's like <laughs> i
1: don't want to hear these adjectives <laughs> she's just loving it isn't she That's the thing. She loves it. I think that's the thing that's the most disturbing is she's just like, yeah, it's it's creamy, it's sweet. And you're like, why are you describing it? (laughs) Like, why? But but it's really interesting because it makes me think of, you see some, some serial killers, like mostly men. I mean, they are mostly men to begin with, but they have a thing where it's like gets them off to give a give something mm. from the victim to someone else so like someone like if they killed a woman and they had her necklace or something it will be very exciting yeah. for them to give that necklace to their wife and then see their wife walking around with a necklace on not knowing where it's from and um yeah. and it's sort of similar like it's it's the yeah, it it's is. the idea of like I gave you so this soap, you don't even know that it's a person that's kind of exciting to well, her it's, that's most, it's her also off. like
0: the tea cakes. I feel like she just loves watching people like eat them, yeah, like it's just <laughs> why yeah, Leonardo also obtained a significant amount of money from her final victim, like I think it was in the tens of thousands,
1: which is quite a lot for yeah, yeah.
0: which you know. Again, is like, I don't know why she's killing these two women, the other two victims, like how she justifies that, anyway. But the sort well, of financial aspect... I think she just aspect. got
1: a taste for it, you know, like, the first one was actually quite enjoyable. Maybe she didn't think it yeah. would be. Yeah, she's such a strange
0: individual. Like, I really want to know what her thought process is.
1: Yeah, I feel like the making of them into things and then the giving of the things to the other people... Is very much like a control thing. So, because, you know, it's, I know something Mm. you don't know. (laughs) And and like making people do things. Yeah,
0: I guess it's also like,
1: you know, it's like reclaiming control over her life.
0: Yeah, and she gets to sort of inflict some kind of pain on others without it being obvious. Yeah. Without losing her sort of reputation, which she's worked hard to get, I guess. Mm hmm. What Leonardo didn't know was that two of her victims, Francesca and Virginia, hadn't been as secretive as she had advised them to be. They had divulged their plans to move abroad to a few key people, who were suspicious of their disappearances. Virginia Cacioppo's sister in particular knew that something wasn't right. Seemingly everyone in town knew that the three women had known Chenchuli fairly well, and they had all been seen entering her house shortly before they left town. When Cachopo's sister brought her concerns to the police, they almost immediately arrested Leonardo. Although she initially denied everything, she soon confessed when it became apparent that the police also suspected Giuseppe to be involved in the murders. So again, she's doing everything she can to protect her son. Which also makes me think that he definitely was somehow involved in the murders. Right. Cianciulli's trial began on the 12th of June, 1946. The central debate that occurred over the course of the trial was about Leonardo's motivations, as the prosecution argued that the murders had been motivated by financial greed. Chanchuli fervently denied this by stating quote, I didn't kill out of hatred or greed, but only for the sake of a mother. Mm, she also claimed during what? the trial <laughs> <laughs> She also claimed during the trial that she had been forced to kill by her dead mother she said that her spirit appeared to her in dreams and threatened to kill her children if she did not commit these murders which given her past definitely seems possible like yeah i can imagine that she did dream about her mother telling her she was going to kill her children
1: totally yeah but no i buy at the i buy time, that her mom told her to do it in her mind mm. <laughs> what i don't yeah. buy is that like <laughs> you need to bring that into reality <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. also it's so conflicting because it's just like no originally it was because you know i've got to save giuseppe from th- yeah <laughs> those mean old people who are against the fascists <laughs> <laughs> but then also it's like no i had to do this all along because otherwise my mum is going to kill my children from beyond the grave she also proudly stated that she had donated the ladle she had used to skim the fat off the boiling bodies quote i gave the copper ladle to my country which was so badly in need of metal during the last days of the war Gross. it's just and again it's like the the fact of giving the object that she used in particular is like she's really proud that someone will be using that
1: and forever it will be infused with the fat of these like dead people i love the like nationalistic thing that goes along with it as well like you'll want my murder spoon you'll want it for my country (laughs) (laughs) for fascism
0: (laughs) yeah i killed people yeah i donated the ladle for my country because (laughs) i love fascism (laughs) that's what it's all about
1: it's so funny that she's just like actually gonna blame like like antifa (laughs) for this whole thing (laughs) It's, like, applicable to today, almost. (laughs) (laughs) This is because I'm a fascist, isn't it? Discrimination. The defence
0: obviously argued that Chanchuli was insane.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah. On the 20th of
0: July, 1946, Chanchuli was found guilty of three murders, as well as theft of property and the desecration of their corpses. She was sentenced to 30 years in prison and three years in a criminal asylum. Which, I don't, I've never really heard of that being separated into two. Like, you're mad, but only a little bit mad. (laughs) I'll give you three years in an asylum. Giuseppe was also sentenced to five years imprisonment because while he had been involved in covering up the murders by sending the letters, the police had no further proof of his involvement. So clearly they think that he was more involved than they can prove. But it's interesting that he got some time in prison anyway. Right, During her time in prison, Chanchilly wrote her memoirs, which was turned into a 700-page book entitled Confessions of an Embittered Soul. Which, you know, a lot of people, there's a lot of sort of um, speculation that she didn't actually write it because it seems improbable. Like, given that she didn't really complete any schooling, that she would be able to produce this. And a lot of people say that it was her sort of lawyers who were trying to make her seem more human or something. I don't know what, Based on that theory, what the idea would be, right? One of the nuns who worked at the prison said of her, "quote Despite the scarce means at our disposal, she prepared very tasty sweets which no prisoner ever dared to eat. They thought they contained <laughs> some magical <laughs> substance." <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, it's so, like, why would you let this woman ever go anywhere near a kitchen?
1: Oh my god.
0: But in a way, actually, maybe it proves what a good cook she
1: is. Yeah. That she, like, I don't know. It's true, she was able to make them not disgusting when they had, like, Mm. human remains inside of them. Oh, come (laughs) on.
0: She died on the 17th of October, 1970, at the age of 77, of cerebral apoplexy. The tools she used to murder her victims can be found in the Criminological Museum of Rome.
1: What was that, what was it that she died of? Cerebral apoplexy? What's that? I have no idea. <laughs>
0: it's
1: like terms I've heard. Cerebral, Cerebral. apop. Do you say apoplexy? I think it's apoplexy. St- she had a stroke. Okay, there you go. <laughs> you, like, you try to feel smart and use your big words, but like <laughs> it's just a stroke. It's in all the sources. It just said that. And I was like, well, that's got to be something different that I don't know about. <laughs> There we go. We learned something. We learned something today. Yeah.
0: So that's the story of the soap maker of Correggio.
1: It's such a weird situation to get yourself into, where you're like, she obviously thought she she thought she was doing something, <laughs> but then yeah, I think it what? got. I have no idea. I think it got carried away. It. I think it is one yeah. of those things where the first one, and then, you kind of get a a slight addiction. To the feeling of like yeah. control and stuff that it gives you, and, ex- and it's and it's something thrilling and exciting as well about it. And mm. if you're already into fascism, <laughs> I have to say that <laughs> you're probably into sort of or th- like I don't know, controlling other people. And I guess it's like that kind of self-regulatory
0: brand of politics where it's like everyone you have to sort of be watching everyone and everyone has to be an exemplary fascist and if they're not you're allowed to sort of <laughs> make sure that they're aware of what bad fascists they are
1: i actually it makes me realize how little i know about italy italian history from like that time
0: yeah i didn't know because i was looking it up i was looking up fascism <laughs> as you do <laughs>
1: But I didn't know Mussolini
0: was in power for so long before the Second World War. Yeah. So that's interesting.
1: How long was it?
0: It was like a few decades. I mean, he was in power from like the late 1920s. That's not,
1: I was going to say like, that, that's not very democratic of you. And then I remembered he's <laughs> literally a fascist.
0: <laughs> but then it's also like Spain had a sort of dictatorship yeah. for such a long time as well.
1: Yeah. Crazy, no, it's it's really interesting, and I always find like the um female killers and their motivations quite interesting.
0: I find it interesting that she had like it was so calculated yeah. from the first one; uh-huh. it was all so planned out. Mm. But then also that there's a mixture of she drugs them with wine, so you could almost take it a step further and just poison them right. to kill them. But she doesn't. She then kills them with an axe which is incredibly violent.
1: Yeah, so she's obviously so, enjoying um getting yeah. that very physical get, it, it's quite unusual like like you just said for women to women are normally in the in the poisoner category of serial killer mm. or in um, in another like slightly more indirect way or the the caring Yeah, like shooting even. Yeah, or shooting, yeah, yeah. Like something that's just a little bit m- removed from the from the process so to have one that's like no i i like i favor the axe (laughs) it's quite um (laughs) it's quite hardcore and then like the cannibal aspect as well it's quite um unusual so a bit interesting
0: no i'm just like she's such a fascinating character because nothing makes sense nothing (laughs) is like do you know what i mean yeah it's just like at the same time everything makes sense in like she has a terrible life and she's a very superstitious person so it makes sense that she ends up doing these sort of human sacrifices and at the same time that doesn't make sense at all in her description of the crime and like, her attitude. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel and maybe even leave a little comment. That'll be fun. Tell us your thoughts on fascism and <laughs> and arts and crafts. <laughs> <laughs> We're also on social media, so come talk to us there. I don't know if people do talk to us on the social medias, but you should. Oh, get yeah, a bit on us.
1: YouTube. So, yeah. I, I will reply to everything. I always do. Unless it's like, unless I can't really understand it. In which case, I pretend or, I haven't seen it. There's no... <laughs>
0: well, it's also hard to reply, respond to something that's not... A co-
1: yeah, that n- doesn't like start anything. looking
0: for any kind of interaction.
1: Yeah, so definitely look for interaction because uh, <laughs> I can give it to you.
0: <laughs> so we're on Twitter at About Murder, on Instagram at A Podcast About Murder, on Facebook it's A Podcast About Murder with no E and as we were just saying, we're on YouTube. If you search for us, um, you can find videos with you know photos of the sort of murders we're discussing with like maps and pictures that will help you contextualize it a bit more if you're a visual learner then that's useful (laughs) (laughs) because this is now an educational
1: podcast it is i'm gonna i'm gonna change the uh category from entertainment to education (laughs) (laughs) and you can
0: always send us an email at a podcast about murder at outlook.com so get in touch with us don't, don't don't be a stranger <laughs> <laughs> um okay and have a great weekend have a great weekend
1: thanks bye